0: Good morning, and thank you, worship team, and uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through chapter 2, verse 3, or if you're using our Bibles, page 954. Today we want to talk about spiritual maturity. Do you consider yourself spiritually Mature? Are you maturing? Is spiritual maturity your goal? And if so, how would you progress to spiritual maturity? That is the concern of Paul as he is writing this letter about AD sixty to a church in Colossae, ancient small town that uh, he had never been to, but he's writing to them from prison. Let's jump into the passage, verse 28, Colossians 1. We proclaim him, referring to Jesus Christ, we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We preach Christ, proclaim him, teach about him, so that we can be mature in Christ. I'd like to define a few terms just so we're kind of all on the same page about uh, what does it mean to be mature? Was Some of the terms believer, disciple, Christian, we use all those terms, right? Let's just try to define these a little bit. A believer or a Christian the way I technically, or or try to use the term biblically, is someone who has trusted in Christ alone for eternal life, or the Bible calls them, calls us, saved. So if you understand that Christ alone, by his death on the cross for our sins, and by his resurrection from the dead, is our sole means of eternal life, if you have put your faith in him, you are a believer, uh, a Christian you are saved from eternal judgment. By grace, you are saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay? This is the same person. The the person who is a disciple or a maturing believer is, of course, a believer. It's a Christian who is seeking to grow by understanding God better and obeying him more. That's what maturity involves. So, in other words, it's someone who understands that God saved us not just to transport us to heaven the moment we die, but rather to transform the way we live from here until the day we die. And so there is a process going on in which He is, by showing us through His Word who He is, He is enabling us to to know Him better, love Him more, serve Him more, obey Him more, be more confident, have the the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. There's a maturing process going on that should be the goal of every believer. That begins the moment you believe is this process of growth. And then we sometimes use the term disciple maker. A Christian who is maturing and committed to help others mature. So in other words, this is a Christian who realizes that part of the maturing process is spiritual reproduction. If you care about growing, you care about others in the body of Christ also growing. As what? As disciples. Uh, most of you know that uh, the new building we, uh, here we call the Discipleship Center. What's the word disciple all about? Disciple means a follower or a learner. So the disciples, the twelve disciples of Jesus were following Jesus and we're learning. That's that, that process of following someone. So the way we think of discipleship is learning to follow Him more. So it's really parallel to the idea of, of maturing. And what the reason we saw the need for this building was we are invested in the church's purpose is to help us grow spiritually. So we will need time together, time in His Word, growing together in our Ability, our desire to follow Christ. So, understanding some of these ideas, are you maturing? Are you a disciple? Do you want others to become disciples likewise? How would you do that? Verse 28, we just read. So we proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We proclaim Him a person. That has been the focus of Paul in in the previous paragraphs, the last couple of uh, studies we've been looking at. If you just just follow the focus on Christ, starting in verse um, 14 of chapter 1, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, The, the beginning point of your Christian life is The redemption, the forgiveness of sins through Christ. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. We found that he was indeed God in the flesh. Verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He did things that only God can do. Verse 16, by him all things were created. He sustains all things. He's before all things. He's the head of the church. Verse 20 through 22 we are reconciled to a holy God through Him, Jesus. His blood shed on the cross. Or as we even saw in last week in verses 24 through 27. Uh, together with Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles together form this body, the church. And Christ dwells in us. Do you notice that everything about who we are spiritually is focused on the person of Jesus who is God? So the question is, do we understand? If we're going to mature, we have to understand the centrality of Jesus, the exclusiveness of Jesus to everything we are. This past week, I don't know if you, if you uh, saw this or not. I'm sure some of you did. There was an interview between uh, Aaron Rodgers and his girlfriend, Danica Patrick, in which, interestingly, Aaron Rodgers shared... Uh, his views spiritually. I'm a fan of Aaron Rodgers, I'll have you know. I have enjoyed uh, the last 10 years or whatever it's been. I, I, uh, I like his personality. I like his commercials. <laughs> I uh, appreciate his charitable work. And so this is no effort to, to, to smear a local uh, hero. But I was saddened to see where he landed spiritually in that interview especially knowing, as he has described, that he grew up in a church where the scriptures, I don't know what church it was or where exactly that church is at, but where evidently he uh, studied the Bible, where he heard the message of Jesus, went on missions trips, was part of a Christian campus organization, and so forth. Um, And and what he shared is simply, it's not about him, it's a representation, and he actually articulated quite well what most of our culture thinks about spiritual things. And he used a term that I think helps define the issue. He, ref- he used the word binary several times. He doesn't buy into a binary view of truth. Uh, binary meaning that there are only two options. For example, he objects to the terms saved and unsaved. So this really is the issue of, is there such a thing as absolute truth or not? Is the Bible true? Because if the Bible true, it claims to be true and other philosophies are untrue. The reality is that spiritual truth is just that, binary. Much actual truth is binary because two plus two mathematically is four. In the scientific world, H2O is water. There are many things that are not binary and that you know your favorite colors or how you would do this or that, or how we do music at church there 's a lot of things that are are not absolute preferences if you will, but spiritual truth is absolute, either the Bible is true or it is not either God created our heavens and the earth and he did or he did not either Jesus is God or he is not, Either salvation is through Christ alone, as Christ claimed, or it is not, and we will either be in heaven or in hell. And so the crucial issue is that truth is absolute. He happened to make another common argument that follows in this line of thought. He made a statement something like this, how could a good God send people to hell? You've heard that one, right? How could a good God send people to hell? Let's talk about that. If indeed there is one God who created all things, he made all things good. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And when he made man and woman, he made us in his image a good thing, which includes that we have free will. Free will is a very good thing because the only way there is such a thing as love is because we have free will. But in free will, Adam and Eve sinned and all have sinned. And because of our sin, we have all fallen short of the ultimate standard of the universe, the ultimate principle of the universe, which is the holiness of the God who made all things, one God. And so God did something amazing. And in, and in, and in his ultimate goodness, because that was the issue that's at stake, right? Is God good? in his ultimate goodness our sin actually displays the goodness of god at its ultimate best because then he sent his only son god who the second person of, of, of the triune god jesus christ came from heaven and took on humanity and died on the cross for our sins and so god does not send people to hell but rather he has rescued those deserving eternal judgment from in his ultimate goodness. Here is the heart of God when he saves us from judgment by Jesus. Second Peter three. The Lord is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That is the heart of God. Or John three, sixteen and seventeen. For God so loved the world, every person that he gave his only begotten son, singular Jesus, That whoever believes in him shall not perish. Why? Because his son Jesus paid for our sins. So if we believe in him, we do not perish, but have eternal life. Because God did not send his son to die on the cross to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So he who believes in who? Only one option. The Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God would remain on him because that is our fallen condition, deserving of eternal judgment of God. So God doesn't send people to hell. God sent Jesus to rescue us from hell. So it makes perfect sense in verse 28 that Paul says, we proclaim him. We got nothing else. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Jesus and his salvation through the cross is the basis of everything we are, everything we ever will be. And so it only makes sense that we would teach and admonish one another about Christ for our spiritual growth as well. He was responsible for the starting point, how we came into relationship with God and have the righteousness of God placed on our account so we would be eternally forgiven. But he is also the basis of our maturity and growth. Paul would write to the Corinthians, according to the grace of God given to me, Paul said, personally, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation And let each one take care how he builds on it. 2,000 years later, we're still building on the foundation. What's the foundation? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So every bit of spiritual maturity also comes from, through, and is about Christ and who he is. So we proclaim him. He's all we have. How do you know? what you need to know about Christ so that you can mature. It doesn't just fall into our minds through osmosis. That's why he says we teach and admonish. We have to know, we know Christ by the word. We have to know the word of God. So what is your plan to know Christ better through his word? Because whatever you're doing right now to know the Word of God is your plan right now. How's that going? I don't just say that to to put guilt, but to put an urgency that your spiritual growth, your stability, your encouragement is dependent upon your understanding of who Christ is. And so you need to know What's in the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament is preparing mankind for the coming of Christ and showing the inadequacy of even God's good standards, the laws and rules did not transform people but rather led them to their need for Jesus Christ. And then we need to know the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so we understand who Jesus is through what he said and through what he did. And so that when he then went to the cross and died for our sins and rose from the dead, we understand that he is that pivot point, that central focus, that the supreme center of all of God's plan. And then we need to know the New Testament and these letters, epistles and, that were inspired so we would understand looking back who Christ is so we can communicate the gospel of Christ and so that we can grow in our understanding and reach upon His him as the ultimate resource, which is what this passage is about. We have to know the word of God. Jesus is the person in whom we grow to maturity. And Jesus provides the power for that to happen. Verse 29, to this end, Paul says, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. What I love about this this verse is as Paul thinks, now Paul, remember, is a disciple maker. He is following Christ, and his he sees it as his ministry to help others follow Christ. He's a disciple maker. So he says, to this end, I labor, He's working, but with whose energy? The energy that powerfully works in me. The term uh, I have, struggling, is a Greek term, agnao, which is about conflict. And it's, it's, it's this fighting kind of work. That's, that's the kind of labor it is. Like We have to just ah, work at it in fact it's it agnao it's where the english word agonize actually came from so there is this extreme effort exerted to help people grow spiritually because we don't naturally grow spiritually we invest hard work into helping people grow i think back to some of the things that Paul would say about his own labor and making disciples. He said, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, his, the, the tent making that he did when necessary, and we labor, work with our own hands. When, we, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. In other words, nothing is going to stop us. From this effort of helping people to know and follow Jesus Christ. He told that to the Corinthians, and then in the second letter he wrote to them. He again in chapter eleven, Second Corinthians, listed out different times he was in prison, he was beaten, he had dangers from everywhere and threats to his life. One time he was almost killed and and, and, and hunger and cold, and he went through all of that. But then at the end of that passage, he says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So as as, as hard as some of this outward persecution and the personal sacrifices and the discomfort he, he went through, he says, that's really not the biggest deal. The hardest thing is when I see... Believers like you in Corinth, and and they were struggling in Corinth. When I see your spiritual struggle and I want to help you. And he says, it just, it just weighs on me. So we can just picture really his, his struggle as he prays for the people there. Because it says he's struggling with his energy. He knew he didn't have the energy. That's why when he told the, he was writing to the Ephesians, he talked about how he struggled. I do not cease remembering you in my prayers that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is, this is, this is our resource for maturity. This is how we grow. What is this resource? It's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. If you can picture ultimate power, it's when the God of the universe raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is available to who? those who believe. That's how important this is, so that we... We need to understand the power of God through the person of Christ because his power works in us. So Paul says, I think about you and my passion for you to be growing spiritually and and overcome the struggles you have and trust God in the middle of the circumstances you face. He says, I pray that you would know that immeasurably great power to endure, to overcome, whatever it might be, because it's accessible to you. So when he labored... He really meant laboring in prayer. He prayed. I think he prayed that they would pray because when when you pray for someone, you're praying that you're depending on God to work in them and then you pray that they would depend on God to work in them. That's why he said we proclaim Christ. That's our only hope. Are you a disciple? In other words... You care about following and growing and maturing in Christ, and are you, do you have a disciple-making heart? It's good and normal that we would first, probably, and, and, and mostly pray about our own needs, because we all have our needs, and, and, and yet we will be amazed what God does when we begin to invest and pray for the needs of others when you have a a younger child or even an adolescent, you, you, you kind of just know, you just kind of accept they're kind of absorbed in what they're going through, okay? But isn't it amazing as a parent how thrilled you are when you start to notice when they want to serve somebody else, when they have a heart for caring about somebody else? That is a mark of maturity. And spiritually, it's a mark of our maturity when spiritually we're not just thinking about ourselves, but now we are investing in somebody else. Parenting is is that process by which we are forced to face our own immaturity and selfishness because we, I mean, someone's got to get up with a baby, right? Someone's got to feed these kids. Someone's got to provide for them. And so suddenly we realize we simply cannot function self-focused and, and it is part of our maturity to help others grow. And as you with that baby and your love grows and your your, your maturity grows and your, your tiredness grows too but I guess that's part of maturing but if you pursue being a follower of Christ you will care about others following Christ. That's a natural or supernatural progression. And then as you begin to care about others will you do so with your strength or as Paul said with his energy which so powerfully works in me. Because there's no one in this room smart enough or gifted enough, gifted enough to make anybody grow spiritually. You just can't do it. You cannot make somebody grow. You can't make your child mature. You 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 long for them to. And so you, you, you do certain things that in your younger years especially where you must require and enforce obedience teaching them patterns. But even while you are obligated to shepherd their heart, you cannot change their heart. And it's one of the harsh realities every parent will face. Christian parents. And at some point, we surrender them to God's working and God's discipline while never giving up on His power in their life. And likewise, if you have this Christian friend who is struggling or whoever it is that God has placed on your heart, you can only... Ultimately, as you love them and pray for them, you point them to your resource, which makes it incumbent that you and I are depending on Christ for our own spiritual growth. So the person that brings us to maturity is in Christ. We preach him that you might be mature. The power is Christ's. Verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2, and this is kind of one continuous thought, I believe, kind of a little bit unfortunate chapter division here, is pointing us to the process, some a unique and ultimate resource that God uses in this process of maturity. So you want to grow and you want to help others grow. What has God designed for that to happen? Verse 1, I want you to know how much I am struggling, the same word, agonizing, for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Um. This reference to you, Colossians and Laodicea gives us an opportunity to uh, review the, the geography of, of this book. Uh, Paul is writing from Rome. He's in prison in Rome. They had, he had been arrested in, in Jerusalem, and uh, he appealed to Caesar... So he went to the the capital of the Roman Empire and waited there as we mentioned last week for some 2 years waiting for his accusers the the spiritual the the religious leaders of the Jews to come and accuse him they never showed up. So he had this time to to write these letters so he wrote to Colossae our book that we're studying and uh he also said I'm struggling for you and I'm struggling for those in Laodicea about 10 miles northwest of of uh, of where he's at those he had not seen face to face so he never actually went to these churches and yet when you picture him struggling and agonizing so he didn't he didn't get persecuted in Colossia or Laodicea his struggle was spiritual as he prayed for people he knew or came to know there so this 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 agonizing was a, a I think a, a prayerful one in verse 1 it's interesting that Laodicea is mentioned also, just a little bit of a historical note. Go to the end of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, Give my, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. She seemed to, uh, so Philemon hosted the church in Colossae and Nympha, evidently, in Laodicea. And then verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to, in the church of the Laodiceans. So pass this on. And that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Now, that's raised a lot of interesting questions. Uh, Is there a a lost letter of Paul that he, a letter he wrote to the Laodiceans? Others, probably most, think that that was actually the book of Ephesians, uh, there's a connection between these churches. Uh, Ephesus is is out here, and Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus, and that's probably where Epaphras, chapter one, verse nine, who was from Colossae, heard the gospel, took it back there, and so these letters were probably circular. So it could be that he's referring to Ephesians, but he says, "I care about you, and that's why I wrote you." And that's wh-. so he, he agonized in prayer. He agonized in the letter, I'm sure, as under the Spirit of God he writes to them. But Paul would not give up on them. He cared about their maturity. And so we can't give up on one another. We, we keep praying and pointing people to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What does Christ use in our lives? In addition to our dependence on Him, and and we see this vertical need, we we call out to Him for ourselves, for growing, we call out to Him for others. What else does He do? I think we we see a process in verses 2 and 3 that is very, very, very crucial to our spiritual growth. My purpose, verse 2... And I'll read, I'll read it in my translation, and they all kind of, it's a long sentence with a lot of clauses, so it might sound a little confusing, but we'll work through it. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Follow that? (laughs) It's one of those you kind of read that quickly and you go, I think that's really good, I'm not really sure everything that it says. Um, so sometimes we need to read slowly and uh, sometimes it helps a little bit to just kind of uh, pause and, and break it down a little. So I'm going to try to summarize uh, what it's saying uh, in a sense by by diagramming the sentence but the bottom line seems to be this. My purpose as I struggle for you, as I pray for you, as I write to you, my purpose is that you would be encouraged but you will be encouraged by your connection to other Christians. The basic Uh, skeleton of the sentence is this my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart by being knit together the two main verbs are being encouraged how by being knit together or connected or united how are we encouraged by being knit together connected to one another why is that so crucial why is that a christ-centered resource because we all are the body of christ and because each of us, like fingers, hands, remember, eyes, ears, whatever, as, 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 as Paul would illustrate, the body of Christ, we are all connected to Christ, so there is a, a, a multiplier effect of our strength together. We must be connected to Christ, but we mature best when we are connected to others who are also maturing in Christ. So this term, knit together, is about being joined together together connected how and then there's a couple of descriptions connected in love is one connected in love the second is the purpose to attain the rich so our focus we're on the same page we're connected in love relationally for the purpose of attaining the full riches of understanding understanding who christ as our ultimate and only real source of wisdom So how does this process work? Take it a piece at a time. To be connected in love. Love is this agape love, a sacrificial love. It's another way of really describing grace. If we are going to have effective connection to one another where we are we are giving one another strength, the each other, one another kind of strength, it will take a lot of grace. Because everybody around you who's a believer has faults and failings. And so the people that you will actually, that God will actually use to help you grow in maturity are people with immaturity, scars, and failures. It's an amazing, beautiful plan. They will, they will, they will say things different, say things wrong. They will do things different, maybe do things wrong. And yet somehow, this combination of sinners saved by grace, depending on Christ, becomes this powerful resource. So it's going to take a lot of grace. We have to be connected to be encouraged. And then, being on the same page, it is so that we attain the riches of understanding. So we will learn from one another, and it will be focused on Christ. But it's like, it's like a maturity is a group project. Now, group projects get a bad name, right? Your kids in high school, they have group projects, and what's the complaint? I end up doing all the work, and nobody else pulls their load. A, I get that, but it really is kind of like that in the church family too you 'd say in the body of Christ, not everybody has the same capacity, but we all need to do it as a group. We are stronger Friday night, as I was uh, leaving work I, uh, on l l you if you drove it all Friday night, you know it was totally sick and awful and uh, coming on LL here, there's there a car in the ditch, you know, the headlights are here, and it's poked down into the ditch, and I was, I guess the first one, I didn't see him go off, but I, the first one, so I pulled over and put my flashers on, I call out, and say, you guys okay, and yeah, and it's a guy and his girlfriend, and, and uh, so I, I walked over there, and then another car, uh comes behind me and they pull over and this guy jumps out and and uh I just started talking to him and it's that guy at the sound booth, Jay. Uh, he's on his way home from work and we're both trying to be good Samaritans. And and if I could tell you that Jay and I pushed this car out it'd be the perfect illustration of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but we weren't enough. But you know the thought that crossed my mind? If we had like two or three more guys, there would be no need for a tow truck. If we'd had five guys, right, Jay? Five guys, we'd have pushed that guy right out and he'd have been on his way. I know that some of you would have been willing. Uh, If you have five people that know you well enough and care about you, you'd be amazed how God will give that power that you need because spiritual growth in many ways is a group project. First with Christ and then with one another. Connected. We grow in maturity as we, are, as we connect to others who are growing in maturity. And we're at different places. And we have different uh, sins and scars. We have different, however, abilities and gifts as well. And God encourages our heart as we're joined together. You're not alone. Sometimes it's just a matter of, of knowing others who have gone through something either like you or Here's what's in common. Grown in their dependence on Christ like you need to grow as well. Uh, just, just knowing there's some... And then, and then opening up and asking them to pray and agonize with you becomes part of your growth. So we connect in love. We connect in t- this, towards the same goal, towards the spiritual riches so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So it's focused on Christ. D.T. Niles said what you may have heard the quote, though. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I believe that discipleship is one struggling believer telling another struggling believer that Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. And then God brings us together and we together lean on Christ. You know, when when I'm in one of the ABFs or something where people are sharing prayer requests, the bottom line, what I'm hearing is, here's how Christ helped me. Here's how I need Christ's help. Here's how Christ has helped me. If you're sharing something that God has done, here's how I need Christ's help. In whom, verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How much wisdom and knowledge? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And somehow as we come together and lean upon Christ, A, we learn the spiritual realities, and then sometimes we learn the practical things we might need as well. Someone's going to have a snow shovel or a tow rope or something we need, and, and we find the practical kinds of help that God might use. But he's all we have, and sometimes we just need people with skin on to remind us, I know that from here I talk about and need to connect, and and, and I know that's that's new and sometimes even frightening for people, or it's something you did long ago, and um, it's like I need to put a disclaimer on my plea for people to be connected in Bible studies or ABF, and the disclaimer is this: if you if you visit one, don't expect to be impressed. It's just regular people. It's just regular people. There's no magic in those classrooms. They're just nicer than they were a year ago, but there's no magic. All we have is Jesus. And if you, if you come to love certain people and you like a certain teacher or leader and, and you, you like the worship music here, you appreciate a message, by the time you walk out the door, you really have nothing unless you've been pointed to the sufficiency of Jesus. It's all we've got. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I appreciate our youth and, and uh, children's ministry, and Pastor Nate does a great job and has a great team of leaders and teachers, and they're prepared, and they have games, and they have activities and, and Bible lessons that they're working on on, on a Tuesday to get ready for Wednesday or Saturday, to get ready for Sunday, and when those meeting times are over there 's nothing except that they 've been pointed to Jesus, and that is the goal and why we need to connect and be together, because the only thing that will help our children is when they have been pointed to Jesus by a handful of times and ministry leaders and their parents you know hopefully as much as twenty four seven and pointing us pointing them. To Jesus and so Paul says that's all we got verse 28 we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone mature in Christ chapter 2 verse 3 because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and in the next passage when we study on we'll see because the problem is we have a whole world full of false wisdom and false knowledge And so we have to have our foundation on Christ and then like a wise master builder, we grow in maturity, focused on the same absolute truth, the same complete sufficiency and exclusivity of Jesus and growing in that mutual dependence upon our only resource, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of uh, knowing your word, of... uh, Seeing in black and white what you want us to know about the the very realities that we we each face, and uh, Lord Jesus, you know that while we don't see you, we know you, and that you are as as real and 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 this 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 word that we've read is is completely fully your truth, and so we rely on you. We thank you for the cross. And how, as we believe, we can know we have eternal salvation, but we also thank you that the power of the cross, the power of you within us, working by your Spirit, is able to transform us day by day. And we commit ourselves to that continued process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.